The following program is sponsored by Team Reba of Remax Metro East Side and Eric Osnes of Home Street Bank Home Mortgage. Welcome to Open House with Team Reba. Each week, Team Reba will be bringing you a roundup of real estate and mortgage news, along with information about the local Puget Sound region, highlighting some of the best and brightest entertainment options, family events, neighborhood highlights, and local business interviews, so you can feel right at home in the Pacific Northwest. Welcome once again to Open House with Team Reba. I'm Reba Haas with Team Reba Remax Metro East Side, And I'm Eric Ossens with Home Street Bank Home Mortgage. And we have... Once again, a fantastic guest with us. Busy day today. Tamara yes. Simon with Cost Property Management is here today. We're going to be talking about the rental market and all things related to landlords and tenants and all of that. Mm-hmm. Good times in property management. Absolutely. And just a reminder, this is a live call-in show and nothing prepackaged here. You can reach us toll-free if you have a question for us or our guest at 866-712-1300. All right, so before we get into all the good stuff with uh, Tamara, we're going to do our usual market rate update. Sure. Yeah, okay, well, let's bring it on, Ben. Absolutely. You know, the timing for this this show, you know, we're here every Tuesday at 3 mm-hmm. o'clock. seems like all the bad stuff happens after the, the show ends and before the new show starts. So last week I was talking about rates, and we had a little bit of, of uh, you know, unsettlement going on with the markets mm-hmm. and man yeah yeah last you said week it was, was because a bunch of different reports were coming out too we had all kinds stuff. of statistics coming out mm-hmm. and and the rates uh, were were up uh, last week they were going up pretty much most of the week and uh, over the weekend uh, yesterday there was upward pressure on rates today it's a nice day again so like it is we, outside right now that's right we had a we had a nice uh, nice rally in the bond markets uh, this morning you know, started kind of hit its peak about 11 o'clock this morning and then sort of settled back down. And so so rates right now are pretty close to where we were a week ago, just a little bit higher. So the average right now for a 30-year conforming conventional 30-year mortgage is sitting right around 3.77%, so firmly under 4%. Still awesome. Yep, 15-year fixed rates, just a nick over 3%. Uh, we're around 3.06. We were under 3% last week for the 15-year fixed rate. And FHA loans are still at 3.25%. That's just outstanding. And jumbo loans are sitting right around 3.6% as a national average. Now, you're uh. not going to get a 3.6. We we set our rates an eighth of a percent increments. Mm-hmm. So you might be 3.625, 3.75, 3.875, like that. Uh, so these are averages kind of worked out with the numbers. And uh, so timing is still very, very good. Plus, we just like to confuse people. Well, sure. Yeah, we throw <laughs> these numbers out there like uh, with reckless abandon. So uh, that's just how we that's just how we roll. But it's it's still very, very good timing. Uh, refinance activity is is very busy right now. Oh yes, and it is. You're, I've you're, had a lot of my clients contacting me, going, "Hey, I need some help. Hey, right? I need to talk to somebody." Exactly. Now that is going to start affecting turn times at many lenders. It's going to take mm-hmm. a little bit longer to get your paperwork through because everybody's uh, super busy right now. Well, wouldn't we rather it be that instead of? Oh, the alternative. Oh, trid. Absolutely. The reason I drink. Yes. Notice absolutely. how the last several weeks you and I have not been. Complaining yeah. about that because I, w- I go back and I listen to our old shows. Oh, it's all about trid, and it was all about trid for at least two months. Right. Like we were just constantly lamenting about that. So I'd rather it be that there's just 
good market activity going on and things have kind of settled out a little bit and, and people have figured the process out. And that's exactly right. You know, there was just a, a lot of pain mm-hmm. as we went through a, a whole new set of regulations sort and of documents. Like birth. Yeah, worse. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. I can't vouch for that, but I'm just going to say it was pretty bad. But uh, yeah, well, you so, forget about it when things go good again. <laughs> that's right. But you know, you know what's interesting with all the, the refinance activity right now is uh, how much of that is cash out refinances, mm-hmm. people pulling equity out of yeah. their properties. You know, back at the peak of the market, uh, if we go back to around 2000, you know, 6, 2007, um, before the big meltdown, about mm-hmm. 64% of refinances were cash out, people pulling equity yeah. out. At the very peak, it got up to about 89% mm-hmm. of the refinances we were doing were cash out. Ouch. Now we're, we're sitting today about 43% of the refinances we're working on are cash out. So in that cash out element though, are people using the money differently? Because that 2006, 2007 range was in a lot of cases, people paying off credit cards, doing debt reduction, consolidating debt, right. you know, things like that. Do you, are you seeing any trends about where those funds are being utilized now? It's, it's, a, it's a little bit of, of the, more of the same. Yeah, it, it's sort of all over the board. We do have some people that are using those to consolidate debts, you know, things that have mm-hmm. kind of built up over the, the dark years. A lot of that happening mm-hmm. right now because people – Because the savings rate went up, though, during the recession, though, too. And so it's – the people that I have right. that are calling me saying that they're doing refis and need help with appraisals mm-hmm. and whatnot, um, most of them are doing renovations on their mm-hmm. homes. Yeah. So they're actually putting the money back into their home, which before sure. that wasn't the case. It was like, right. hey, I bought a boat. Hey, the, I was the sent ATM, my kid to school. Or, ATM yeah, it was the machine. ATM. Right, right. And, 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 and we are seeing a lot of that. But we're also seeing folks that we have a lot of customers that just to make it through mm-hmm. that, that great recession, you know, they, they racked up some debt. Yeah, true. And, and they did that to stay on top of things, make their bills and, mm-hmm. and everything else. So now they're they're using using this to to sort of you know improve those those you payments. Know, those payments that yeah. interest rate and everything. So that's making a difference. So bottom line though is uh, you know things are still looking very very good on the interest rate front. Mm-hmm. Not so much for your four hundred one k, but yeah, definitely not for, so much for, for that the, for the interest. Well, rates. so let me go back again though about people doing the cash out refis. Are some of them using that for things such as? Buying rental property. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which. Um, Are you gonna start singing again in the Norwegian like you were earlier? <laughs> our mm, our yeah. guests uh, were, were fortunate <laughs> enough to not have had to have heard that. Yeah. So, if you want me to sing the Norwegian national anthem, I'd be more than happy we to. We will record it. Well, we probably did get it recorded. We'll play some of it back later. <laughs> Oh, good. Oh, Thank darn, you. David Summers, time. our producer, he's okay. shaking his head. No, Dang it. <laughs> not going there. Okay, next time. Yes. So, Tamara Simon, welcome. We're so happy to have you on the show here today. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Well, good, good. And we have uh, lots of questions for you. And, mm-hmm. and let, first off, uh, can you tell us a little bit about, about you and your business? And, and you're no spring chicken when it comes to property management, are you? No, but I look much younger than I am, well, so yeah. that's helpful. That's good. <laughs> I've been in the industry since 1983 here in Seattle, and I'm the designated broker and founder of Cost Property Management. I also serve on the board of the Rental Housing Association, consult and teach classes for landlords and other people in the industry. Excellent. Which is one of the ways that, for our listeners, partly how Tamara and I got uh, engaged in doing some referrals back and forth over the years is when I got in the industry in 2003, I was seeking out 
excellent people to do referrals because I was working with a lot of investors in multifamily. And uh, Tamara was one of 10 property management companies that I interviewed way back when. And was when I found out you taught the classes, it was like, ding, 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 ding. Okay, we've got to do that together because I've been teaching you know, this whole time. And so you've been doing classes for me. And in fact, that was the most fun thing was watching you light up. Because when you get in front of a room of people, it, it's a whole new personality almost. <laughs> and I love it. <laughs> I love the opportunity to teach and help people with their rental properties. Yeah. And you're great at it. Thank you. Well, it's a, it's a, it's, it's always a, a challenge. And we have a lot of uh, Listeners, and I know both mm-hmm. Reba and I have customers that are new to mm-hmm. uh, being a property manager. How do you typically get started with someone? They they contact you, say they just bought a rental. It's their very first one. You know, where where do they start? Well, when people are interested in having property management, and they contact me. We talk about how long they've been a landlord. Did they just get this property? Typically, overwhelmingly, seventy percent of our clients have been managing on their own. Usually that's how most people start Mm -hmm. because the average landlord starts with a single-family house or a small property, maybe a duplex, and they've been managing on their own for a while, and for one reason or another, they feel it's the time to have management, or perhaps somebody who went into the rental market, investment market, has a full-time job, and they're so busy with that job, they need professional management and help. And so we talk about, first of all, Where's the property? What's their goals? Most people are looking to hold long-term. The reason you mm-hmm. own rental property is to build for your own retirement. Of course. That's yes. how it works. And then we look at what is the cash flow. A typical client will say to me, oh, I just want to make my payments. And they're kind of working backwards. Yeah. Because the first question to ask is, before you purchase a property, is what's current market rent? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But we deal where we're at and we look at what currently does the property have to offer. And the biggest thing is the same as in sales, location, location, location. Of and then we come up with what's market rent And then what are the expenses? And we start looking, maybe somebody does need to refinance because their expenses are too high. The Seattle market's been blessed with a lot of equity building. We're one of the strongest markets in the United States for sales and for rental right now. But that also brings challenges. And one of the challenges is, can you meet your expenses, your mortgage, taxes, and insurance, mm-hmm. and right. the ongoing expenses right. of being a landlord. Okay. Makes sense. Makes sense. And, and, and so once you've, you've kind of set up, so are, are you providing your clients with, with documents? And so it sounds like from, from, you know, what you described, you're, you're preparing an operating income statement, basically. You're preparing a document to show them this is, this is what your cash flow is going to be, this what this will look like. That's the first part of it, of course, is mm-hmm. because you have to plan just like at your own budget mm-hmm. for your rental property. And then we do education with our clients about landlord-tenant law to make sure that they're always in compliance. You're always looking for the best possible tenant to be offering the best possible service mm-hmm. because the tenant is your customer. Mm-hmm. And so you want to have explained to potential clients, this is a job. Whether you have property management, you're doing it yourself. It's not like buying stock. You've bought yourself a job. Right. And you want to know that you're able to understand landlord-tenant laws, give the best possible service, and meet people's needs when they are your customer. Absolutely. So 
from the you mentioned education, how do you provide the different levels of education to these property managers? Or not, property owners, pardon me. You're the, you're the manager. Some property owners <clears throat> want to be very involved. Other property owners just hire you because they want you to be the professional okay. and they don't want the information. But we always make people aware that landlord-tenant law is not a suggestion. We start there. Right. When you own an investment property, you have to deal with the laws. That's number one. For example, I just had a potential client call me yesterday, and she's purchasing a property, and I was explaining to her about screening protected classes, and she was appalled that other people could tell her who and why she could choose someone over somebody else. Oh, man. So, it, so yeah. that's where we start yeah. with the Let's education. Let's get into that into the next segment. Right. Stay That'll tuned for more on KKOL Business Radio 1300. If you'd like to call into the show, now's your chance. It's 866-712-1300. Now, back to Open House with Team Reba. Welcome back to Open House with Team Reba. This is Eric Osnes with Home Street Bank. And Reba has with Team Reba, REMAX Metro Eastside. We're, Way to jump on in there, buddy. That's right. I, I beat you to that one. Well, every week we're here every Tuesday at 3 o'clock to talk about real estate and finance and, and, mm-hmm. and anything and else. And dance we, when my bumper music comes on. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, and with us today, we have Tamara Simon with Cost Property Management, who's yes. here to talk about uh, being a landlord yes. and all the things that go along with that. See, and you think having all your hair missing is from pulling credit reports. I'm amazed. I don't have you know, a bald pate. From being a, a landlord. <laughs> oh, uh, well, that's certainly part of it for me. Tamara, tell me what I did wrong here. I had a, a, a duplex, and let's call it let's call it North Burian, affectionately. <laughs> and uh, and uh, and so uh, so my my mother in law lived nearby, and and uh, there was one tenant who was a single parent. She had a couple kids, and so every week my mother in law would drop by and and drop off boxes of food and pretty soon clothes pretty soon she's like doing more and more for this for this family and uh and the the more generous she became the further behind the rent went and this is where i transitioned from being a landlord to becoming a social worker so i know that's one of my mistakes but um I finally just had to put my foot down and say, okay, you know, this is a, a three-day pair vacate, you know, if you either bring in the rent or we got to start the eviction process. And she says, well, I'll just move out. So she had a garage sale to get rid of, uh, you know, some of, some of her stuff. Sold my washer, my dryer, and my refrigerator as part of that process. <laughs> so. To get her next rent. <laughs> yeah, I was just. Furious about that. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. I don't know. But uh, uh, anyway, so so what did I do wrong on this one? Oh, we only have less than an hour. You're like, hour where do start. I start? <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you need to have a separate counseling session after we're done with the show. So, I need an intervention. So let's start at the beginning. First of all, again, most of us get into owning rental property, investment property. So it'll be part or all of our retirement income. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing to keep in mind. And what happens is, especially for the majority of us, by the way, the majority of people who are members of the Rental Housing Association mm-hmm. own you know, mm-hmm. a single-family house or, or four units or less. And so what happens is, is people do tend to become friends with their tenant. 
And the, f- the number one rule is to remember it's a business first. Exactly. Yes. To keep your objective. It's a business first. And while you want to give great service to your tenants who are your residents who are your customers, it's a business first. And you need to separate that relationship. Otherwise, you tend to become what I like to say the United Way of Housing. Mm-hmm. And while yeah, that's a, happened a lot over at my fourplex. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's uh, a, certainly a lot of need in the Seattle area in particular. Our housing costs are very high. But you need to decide, are you a social service agency or are you in this business to supplement your current income or possibly your retirement income? Or some of my clients are simply using that income to pay for care for their elderly parents course, who yeah. might be somewhere. So that's the first thing. The second thing to remember is that you have a partner whether you want one or not. And that's called the U.S. government and government at large mm-hmm. because there are Again, going back to the laws and considerations. So if you have a good understanding of landlord-tenant law, what you are supposed to provide and what you're not supposed to provide doesn't mean you can't be empathetic to your tenant if they've lost a job or having problems. You just look at what is it I really can afford to provide here. Mm -hmm. The next thing is also making sure that your tenant understands you're interested, you appreciate them, but this is a business, and if you cannot meet your needs, you cannot help them. Got it. Makes right. sense. Exactly. Makes sense. So a lot of a lot of uh, new landlords are going to make uh, make mistakes, and and it can be particularly dangerous or even expensive when you're when you're when you're messing with the landlord tenant laws. What are some things that uh, well that, people uh, do it inadvertently? Exactly. Even. Exactly. That's, I mean, they're not going into it intentionally, meaning to break the law. But no. I think sometimes just like what they think right. is supposed to happen ends up not being the case of, of what's legally possible. Allowed. Right. I mean, cause we, we brought up Tamara. We had a, a prior show where I mentioned uh, Jessica, who, you know, one of my assistants, mm-hmm. uh, when she moved down to the Olympia area with her family and they have three small children, I think they just had two at the time. She had someone who, as they were going out and making applications, the woman saw her come, come up with her two small children. She's like, Oh, well, you didn't tell me you had kids. I'm not running to people with kids. And I remember getting a phone call from Jessica it was before she was working with me and she was crying and upset and just like, she's like, can this lady say this to me? And I said, no, <laughs> she cannot. <laughs> so we got into it and I said, but now you have to make a decision of whether or not you want to push the issue and have this person be your landlord or do you want to move on and find a, you know something that will make you more comfortable? Because now you already have this mindset of there may be problems back and forth between you and this person. And so uh, they didn't end up going there, but they ended up into some other issues because the person, um, it's almost unfortunate they don't get to vet back and forth because who they ended up renting from for a while was a woman who then went into foreclosure and didn't tell them. And and they ended up getting notices on the door and there was all kinds of other things that ensued. But, um, you know, in the break we were talking about as, as we go into what's legal, what's not legal, landlord-tenant law, fair housing. I mean, that's the whole thing with Jessica's situation. That's a fair housing violation. Right. Yes. And the city of Seattle is even more intense around protected classes. Right. So can you can you talk a little bit about protected classes? Sure. And knowledge is power. That's where we need to start. You know, you wouldn't open a restaurant if you didn't know how to cook. 
And so it's the same thing for landlords. First, you need to gain some knowledge. And you can go online. There's lots of places where you can look at landlord-tenant law. Fair housing, by the way, starts at the federal level. So you have the initial seven protected classes, and they're ones that people might be familiar with, like race. Then you go to the state level, and then it starts to get down to more the city level. The Mm -hmm. city of Seattle has more laws, for example, than some other cities. So the first thing you want to do is look up those laws. The next thing you want to do, I think, is get as much information as you can through classes and education. And, again, the Rental Housing Association is a a great association for landlords to start. It's the uh, place for people in Washington State who are landlords or thinking of becoming landlords to get information, take classes, meet other landlords. And they even have free supper clubs every month Mm -hmm. in Pierce, King, and Snohomish County. So if you find RHA online, and I know that Reba has a website, and mm-hmm. she has that on the website. We have links in there. Yep. Yep. Right. Yep. The link. You can even start at the supper club level and find these things out and find out what else is available. It's really important. So what happened was these laws don't come out of nowhere. People were discriminated against. Mm-hmm. People had problems finding housing, and shelter is one of the basic needs. So the federal government said if you're going to be a landlord, you need to. You can have a criteria to pick a tenant, right. but it can't be based on some of these issues. And then, as I said, the city of Seattle has their own criteria, which is quite interesting. Just as an example, political ideology is one of the... Uh, categories with the city of Seattle. You can't discriminate based on political ideology. Yes, it is. Wow. I don't think I knew that. And we're in an election year right now, and it's quite interesting. I'll just give you a quick example. Years ago, I was managing an apartment building in Capitol Hill on behalf of a client, and most of the tenants had uh, political posters in their window. And it wasn't the client. It wasn't the candidate of the landlord. Yes, And the landlord wanted all those taken down. And I told him we could certainly do that until all the tenants had taken them down. And when he was done paying $10,000 to each tenant at least, you know, because he violated landlord-tenant law, uh, you know, that would – or we could wait three weeks till the election was over. Right. So, so now if he had had a policy well in advance of that, just saying there's no signs in windows. No, that, that would have been – no. That actually Wouldn't happened to it? me. That's like I'm, I'm, I'm like my mouth's open. That happened to me, and really, and I, and I, uh, I, I was talking with a prospective landlord, and he said, "By the way, I googled your name, and I saw that you had made some donations to a particular presidential candidate, and I didn't get the, I didn't get the place." Mm-hmm. So that's really, really interesting. Well, there's lots of interesting things, and I encourage people. Was oh, that in Seattle, though? To, that's yes. in Seattle. Yeah, oh, wow. Seattle. To look online. People's Republic of Magnolia. And um, <laughs> and also, again, to, to connect with the Rental Housing Association, find out what you can, take classes, lots of free information. Even the city of Seattle and, Seattle and the city of Tacoma, I know, have excellent classes, mm-hmm. and they're free. Yeah. And you can go to those websites. They have excellent classes on discrimination, how not to discriminate, how to deal with service animals. So you need right. to take the, the service time. Service animals has become a bigger issue, too. Mm-hmm. You know, when I started in 1983, this was not an issue at all. 
you know, if you as a landlord had a policy, no pets, but someone had a seeing eye dog. That's mm-hmm. what everybody thought of as a service mm-hmm. animal. Right. Clearly, you could see the need, and clearly, this animal was trained. Right. Mm-hmm. What's happened over the years is that, you know, the state has to, the state has decided that if you need a service or companion animal. Mm-hmm then the landlord doesn't have many options. No, and it can be pretty much any animal. It's sort of self-designated. Yes, there's very few exceptions, and the animal doesn't have to be trained. So it brings up some interesting challenges for landlords, and by the way, other tenants perhaps. Right, exactly. So this is compelling to me, a combination of all of these things that are coming up, because I'm just thinking about people, you know, because a lot of folks start their landlord life by renting out the first place they ever purchased and then they go buy another home and rent out the smaller place possibly and so i think about condos because if you're saying that the landlord doesn't have a right to say nothing in the windows but condo associations now does that make a difference when the condo association and the bylaws say nothing in the windows are you is the landlord still at risk The landlord is still at risk, and the first piece of property I ever personally bought in Seattle 30 years ago for myself was a condo because I couldn't afford a house. Mm -hmm. I I became the uh, condo president within two years, and I like to say that cured me of association (laughs) management. So we do we do individual condos, but not associations. Yes, the, because the condo association may have rules that are in direct conflict with landlord tenant law. So interesting challenges there. Okay. Well, there's so many different. Oh my gosh, we have so many different things we could go on in terms of direction. But we're going to take a little break, decide what direction we want to go, and we'll be back with more of Open House with Team Reba. Got a question? Call it in. Um. Now, back to Open House with Team Reba. Welcome back to Open House with Team Reba. I'm Reba Haas with Team Reba, REMAX Metro Eastside. And here, Eric Osnes with Home Street Bank. And here, Eric Osnes. Here I am. <laughs> oh, that would have been very interesting intro. <laughs> <laughs> and there he is. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, we're back with Tamara Simon from Cost Property Management. And, of course, during the break, there was a whole lot of additional conversation going on about all these very Seattle-centric situations Um you know, with landlord tenant law and issues around protected classes. So I, I tell people all the time that Seattle is kind of its own animal. And, and so I know there's more than just protected classes that are things that stand out against maybe some of the other municipalities around here. Can you, can you touch on some of those? Cause I know uh, like rent control is a big topic right now. Sure. That's the million dollar question. And I also would like our listeners to understand that the reason it's important to see what's going on in Seattle is because then it tends to migrate to mm-hmm. other areas. Right. So if you're in Burien or you're in eastern Washington and you think, oh, it's just crazy, Seattle it won't affect me, usually that's not how it works. So let's talk about rent control. There is a lot of emphasis on this uh, in the Seattle area these days, mm-hmm. and it's because, of course, people feel priced out of the market. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Rents are going up. You know, we want to be a world-class city. We're blessed with jobs. The key mm-hmm. is jobs. Right. Amazon has brought tons of jobs as well as other people. Mm-hmm. And so it's a business of supply and demand. And right now, we have very little supply mm-hmm. for sale or for rent and tons of demand. That me- makes price increases, right? right? right. And so rent control, while the Seattle City Council seems to be very much in favor of it, the truth of the matter is it would have to change at the state level. The Seattle City Council does not have the authority to produce rent control. In our state, it has to come from Olympia. That's number one. However, the Seattle City Council is doing things to make it more attractive for tenants and a little more challenging for landlords. Let's mm-hmm. start with giving notice. If you're on a lease, the lease has to be honored. But if you're on a month-to-month rental agreement, it used to be a 60-day notice if the landlord was going to move in, if the landlord was going to put his property on the market for sale. So right now, one of the biggest things is is that has changed to a 90-day notice. That makes mm. a lot of difference. Mm-hmm. Particularly keep in mind that two-thirds of the inventory here is single-family homes. Right. And a lot of landlords, that's the home that they're hoping to go back to. Maybe they rented it out because they took a job somewhere else. But something's happened, and they need to get back into the house. So that has changed. Another interesting thing is the rental registration ordinance. Right. This is new in the city of Seattle. Every landlord must register their property, and there's a $175 fee for a single-family home, and then it's a couple dollars for each additional property. This also gives the city of Seattle the authority to inspect your property to make any uh, repairs that they think you need to make. On the surface, this sounds great. Of course, tenants sometimes feel they don't want to talk to their current landlord and say this needs to be fixed. On the other hand, if you want to have affordable housing, the more cities and states put cost on it, the more the price of rental housing goes up. That's right. Right. Well, and as you know, my husband is a home inspector, and he's one of the people who is certified as a non-city employee to do those inspections. And he's been doing quite a few of them. You know, he's been working with um, a couple of very large building owners and their property management companies. And it's it's always kind of interesting to me to see the checklist because some of them are as simple as, oh, the toilet's not bolted down properly. It's like, is that really a question of habitability or like where did that come from? So part of what they're checking out, you know, they say it's supposed to make sure that we have good habitable places. But I mean, it's as limited as as long as one cooktop, you know, element is working on the stove. Like you don't even have to have a full working stove. It's like just at least one element, just so you can at least warm up food. And so it's 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 an odd policy that is in place. From the, la- <laughs> from the landlord's perspective, there are plenty of rules and regulations already set in place under mm-hmm. landlord-tenant law to make it clear what's habitable. There are plenty of agencies for a tenant to bring a grievance if they have it, they mm-hmm. feel their landlord's not doing the correct thing. However, this is past. We have to live with right. it right now. Right. And so the the goal, again, for, uh, from the city is to uh, to visit every rental property mm-hmm. within the next 10-year period. Right. And uh, we'll see if that helps create more affordable housing. I have my doubts about that. 
But having said that, there are some landlords who need more encouragement to keep their properties what up. What a politically correct way to say that. I love that. Thank uh, you. I practice yes, that. Yes, yes. Um, but uh, just real quickly, I want to make sure, because you brought this up on the break. Anyone listening to this, this none of what we're talking about is direct legal advice for anybody. Correct. Okay. I am not an attorney. I am just a designated broker who's licensed and a property manager with almost three decades of experience. Yeah. Smart right. chick. So the advice <laughs> that you're getting, the value of it is equal to exactly what you're paying for it. Well, well, I, I feel I it's know. worth more <laughs> than that. Now say. I'm saying over the <laughs> air. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah, we understand that. Although back to your point of don't think that if you own property elsewhere that something in Seattle won't affect you because I was also surprised to find out Tequila has uh, a similar uh, requirement for having uh, rentals checked out also and inspected. And I know City of Tacoma's looked at it, City of Everett's been looking at it. So this is not something that's just sitting on its own. That's correct. And I think it's also to understand the average landlord, the people that I've worked with for over 30 years, the people at the Rental Housing Association, they're not looking for this to be an adversarial relationship. Mm -hmm. Like any business, you have something to offer. And you want your customers to be happy. And quite frankly, the longer a tenant stays at a property, usually the better it is for our bottom line as landlords. Of course. Right. And, and you know, that's a, actually a question I had for you. Is there a particular type of property that works best for, uh, a say, a new landlord to purchase? Uh, you know, I've had experience with, you know, one-bedroom, two-bedroom Units and those ones tend to turn fairly fast, uh, you know, because you're you're not attracting a, a, a well a family, you know, to stay in that. I don't know if I can even say that. I anymore. can't answer it that way because right. the, now that's discrimination. Right, exactly. Yeah. So, um, mm -hmm. but just from a realistic standpoint. You know, one of the interesting things is that if uh, my office is the university district, so someone who might buy a property in the U district is expecting to fill up that property, mm -hmm. whether it's a single-family house or two-bedroom apartment, with four or five or six students because mm -hmm. that's going to be their biggest cash flow. I like to say, however, they're not really hiring me to be a property manager. They're hiring me to be a dorm director. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like a babysitter job. <laughs> well, well, and there's a financing issue that goes along right. with that, too, yeah. because so, so lenders won't like that. Right. You're generally going to have co-signers. You're going to mm -hmm. have more turnover. You're going to have more whatever, because generally, when somebody's in college or a mm -hmm. student, their lifestyle is going to be different, and the house or the property is not their number one priority to take care of. Mm -hmm. Whatever do you mean Why? by that? <laughs> I can't Once imagine. again, so eloquently spoken. <laughs> so you have to decide as landlord to begin with. Where's that Animal House theme music yeah. you were playing live from last week? Uh, what What is it you're going after? What are you comfortable with? Right. For example, it's all about risk and reward, like mm -hmm. any investment. Right. And so some people are willing to take way more risk, meaning they're looking to fill up the house with more unrelated adults, students or not. Or they're going into a neighborhood that perhaps has a higher crime rate and some other issues, mm -hmm. and they feel like, oh, this neighborhood will generate more income down the road and I can buy the property for less. Some people who are really looking for a stable tenant may be looking more to suburban area because people who move to the suburbs perhaps may be looking at a school district. That's the top mm -hmm. priority. Sure. Just like when people go to buy a property for themselves to live in, you need to know what your priorities are. Now, 
Does that mean that if you bought a house in the suburbs in the best school district, you're automatically going to get a family with children? No. No, of course not. And, of course, you can't discriminate. What's even more interesting is to know your market. Seattle, for example, has less school-aged children than anywhere else in the United States. Half the parents here send their kids to private school, Mm -hmm. and we have more pet owners than almost anywhere in the United States. More dogs and cats. I believe we lead the nation in cat owners. So we do. So Uh, for the Portland. Portland, Portland beats us out. So perhaps yeah. we're number two. So to say as a as a landlord, I don't want any pets, just keep in mind you're turning away a big percentage of the market exactly. and what that means. That's why it's important to do your homework. Mm-hmm. Got it. Yeah, I, you know that's so. Pets are one. When I talk with clients who are buying rental properties, we do discuss some of these things of how lenient will you be? How will you handle pet policies if you're going to allow them? Because a lot of them will be like, "Oh no, I won't do that." I said, "Well, you know what? I was a great tenant back when I was in that position of my life, but I always had animals." And so it was really difficult. I tell a lot of folks when they're moving here, in fact, that's one of the things, short-term rentals are really hard to get for folks moving here who want to live in a place for like six months or less and then find a home. And so they struggle because, you know, maybe they have the the pets and they can't find someone who'll do short-term or they won't do pets or what have you. And so when I have a client who wants to buy these, I'm like, well, you have either opportunities to make more money, but you'll have more turnover. Um, because I know like for myself, I'm I'm open to the idea of short-term rentals and knowing I'll have more turnover just because I know I can charge more. And frequently, some of those tenants end up coming in and staying much longer than anticipated, mm-hmm. right? So, because uh, people hate moving. So they kind of get in and they get in, in place for a while. And then maybe eventually they work their way out of it. But, you know, for me, it's like, okay, well, I can charge this for the pet and I add a, a pet monthly fee on and, you know, it's this much if you do your lease for this period of time and oh well gosh if you're not willing to go ahead and sign another one then we'll just continue at that same level of rent you know there's a lot of different ways you can kind of kind of play with the numbers to make it work out for you but but it does come with some element of risk i do know when i bring the pets in there might be some chewing there might be some digging there might be some urine issues you know and that that has its own costs associated the ones i have the biggest problem with is my other properties where someone else is managing it for me and i have a no pet policy but those dang pets keep showing up and ruining my carpets and we don't have a pot you know there's no deposit in place and then i'm stuck right that's that's some of the the risk i end up running into a good property manager should be able to deal with those things and quite frankly that's why a lot of people hire property managers mm-hmm. is they don't have the time or the inclination or they don't want to deal with these issues but things happen this is life and then a, a competent property management can deal with that issue the pets and it's not a service animal about all right we'll go back to square one on this right and, yeah. right mm-hmm. Yeah, I've I've noticed that with with my rentals, um, if they have pets, they're always the nicest ones, and they you know. But even good pets have bad days. Yes, they do. Well, join us. We have more with Tamara Simon with Cost Property Management on KKOL Business Radio thirteen hundred. Stay tuned. Open House has open phone lines. Give us a call at eight six six seven one two thirteen hundred. Now, back to Open House with Team Reba. Welcome back to Open House with Team Reba. I'm Reba Hass of Team Reba Remax Metro Eastside. And Eric Austin is from Home Street Bank, where every week we're talking about mortgage and finance. Okay, so we're in our last segment with Tamara Simon from Cost Property Management. But just in case there's anybody out there who wants to throw a question in, 
866-712-1300, just in case. But, um, you know, you were mentioning the, the 90 day requirement if a landlord wants to move back into a property. Um, but that is that with selling the property also? Yes, that's correct. Okay. So, um, We've worked together because sometimes you've had some of your clients work with me when they want to sell these properties. Uh, so this is good information for me to know that 90 days because I know I know because you know your job so well, you've probably already talked about these things, but it's probably good for me to know for, for other folks to be discussing. Um, working with tenants when a property is for sale is always an interesting challenge. From your side of things, how, how do you have to work with tenants? Is there a specific process you put in place? Yes, and the problem is is that most real estate professionals really aren't familiar with landlord-tenant law, and they're not very conscious when working with tenants, and they think they can just go in and show whenever mm-hmm. they want and put up a lockbox, and that's not the case. Right. So the first thing is to educate the listing agent, mm-hmm. and you can work with the tenant. Many tenants you know, are very cooperative, and they keep the house beautifully, quite frankly, their furniture is great, but you need to get people's permission right. to take pictures, to use furniture, to do showings. So if you're the landlord and, you, and you're and you selling it yourself or you have a listing agent, you should first have a meeting with the tenant and get uh, come to an agreement about what's going to be happening and in what time frame and how this will work. But what's more interesting is that most people who own rental property don't realize there's a big difference when they go to sell the rental property as opposed to owner-occupied. And then they're disappointed because they have to pay capital gains. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And again, going back to my theme, when you own rental property, you have a business, but you also have a not-so-silent business partner. Yes. And that's called the U.S. government. And so what that means is when you go to sell the property, if you bought a property for 100000 and it's going to sell for 500000 today, your gain is 400000 Now, if it's owner-occupied, you may not have to pay any taxes on that. If it's a rental property, the government insists you pay your share, and it's usually around 20%. Mm-hmm. So you should be well aware of this capital gains tax if you're going to sell. It should make a difference. Uh, your listing agent and competent uh, real estate professionals will also talk to you about a 1031 exchange. Right. Uh, note how you said competent. Yes. <laughs> So ones who actually know what it is. There's a lot of people who are new in the industry right now, right. and they will have no idea what a 1031 is. So a 1031 exchange is a legal way that if you on this 400,000 gain, for example, mm-hmm. you can reinvest it in another property. Right, but and it like, has to be a like property, a yeah. rental property. But and, that, but keep in mind that doesn't always mean it has to be like another typical like single family. A lot of people forget that because there are other kinds of investments. This is why we always get actual, um, because there's qualified intermediaries, the 1031 exchange companies who are part of that. We're usually talking with the attorneys and CPAs of these property investments um, and talking to them about what the potentials are. Because yeah, the 1031 might have some of that 
um, element of uh, helping against the gain, but there's also you know other things that they have to put into consideration. So I like to say I'm in the happiness business. I want happy clients and happy residents. And one of the ways to do that, I think, is that people need to go out of their way and make sure they're talking to a competent expert, whether that's when mm-hmm. they're selling their property or for a property manager. And one of the easiest questions to ask is, have you ever done this before? Yeah. Right. <laughs> there are a lot of people who have sold hundreds of houses, but they have not worked with investment property. Right. right. And so that's a good place to start. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. And um, so, so anything else I should consider when I'm selling a rental property? So, I, I, from what I'm taking away from that, number one, I've got to make sure I we give proper notice to right. our tenants. Mm-hmm. Number two, if uh, if I'm selling and I have a capital gains issue, I really need to investigate 1031 tax deferred exchange. And the the trick with those ones is that if you touch the money, it's too late. You have to set this all up before. Uh, you close on that right. on well, that sale. Even just the timing of some of these things too, because 1031s have a lot of their own timeline requirements around right. them. And if you're trying to sell at the end of the year, usually you have 180 days right. with which to find that replacement property. But if you're doing it at the end of a calendar year, that gets shortened uh, right. and, quite and, a bit. And you even have less time to identify the, you know, right. You have 45 properties. days. That's right. 45 days to, to get up to three properties. So that's right. it's, uh, there's a lot of intricacies around that. And maybe that's something where we bring a, a qualified intermediary in. Go. I've been wanting to get uh, Chris Anderson in from yeah, API we'll get exchange. Somebody in here on the show. Love right? to have him come in and do it. But um, that's, that's probably a little bit more than we want to get to completely for the rest of sure. this segment, I'm sure. Tamara, I had a question though for you also on, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. I, I did want to say in this regard about when you want to sell your property, you know, not every tenant uh, is a great housekeeper. A lot of people are casual housekeepers and not mm-hmm. everybody's personality lends itself well to showing your property because mm-hmm. again, if you're planning to sell, it's not in the tenant's best interest. Mm-hmm. Right. And some landlords just need to come to the realization it's better just to give the proper notice, have that tenant vacate. Right. Then you can stage your property, put on the lockbox, and call it a happy day. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, because I'm going to tell you I've had plenty of experiences with ones where issues have come up, um, where a tenant is very unhappy about the sale occurring. I went to an open house that was just for brokers on Mercer Island many years ago, and it was interesting because as I pulled up to the property waiting for my customer to arrive, I saw all these other brokers wandering around on the outside. I was thinking, boy, this thing started at 11. It's 1130. What's everybody doing standing around outside? Lo and behold, I finally see some people walk out of the house and I'm just, you know, like, hey, hi, how you doing? I have no idea what's been going on. And I start talking to the listing agent once we all finally get inside. Come to find out when he came to the property, even though the tenants had been given notice about what was about to occur that day, they'd been given plenty of notice about this happening. Uh, When he arrived to try and prep the house and have everything ready to go for these brokers, uh, he walked in and uh, there they were in all their bare finery (laughs) and unwilling to leave the property. And so he had to get into quite an interesting exchange with them about, no, you need to leave. You need to get dressed and get out of the house. And then what they did is they left behind probably as, uh, as many distracting items 
throughout the property as they could leave. And I won't go into the details of what those were, but your your mind can can wander quickly onto what this was. And and I didn't realize until I was taking pictures of the interior and about to text them to my client when I realized, oh my gosh, I can't send this. <laughs> like that would be very crude. So um, you know, having those conversations with tenants, figuring out where their mindset is on this because it can go painfully wrong in your selling process uh, if they're not willing to work with you. Because what I've done in some cases when it's been tenants I have to deal with, with a landlord, we we usually have that sit down meeting. We talk about what the process is going to be. We talk about the security measures we're going to have in place. We'll talk about whether or not to limit the amount of interruptions they receive during the day. Maybe we set up open houses specifically, have a couple of people on site to make sure that their items are secure or that they can be there and be present, but they can't be engaged. You know, um, I've even bought movie tickets to send a family uh, and, you know, had, had the owner get like a, a coupon for a restaurant so they could go right. not feel like they were put out for four hours. Like it actually became a benefit for them. It's like, hey, we're going to do this. We're going to get you all this stuff for four hours. And, and you know, because they had six kids in this house. So it ended up being great for them. Uh, but it's it's really you have to come up with a really good strategy in those situations to make it be successful for everyone. Or just be willing as a property owner to have to deal with that cost of a vacancy while you're selling. But right now, the market's so tight that they're not staying on very long. Tamara, let's talk uh, about best way to reach you if, if, uh, if any of yeah, our listeners info. want information. Great. My, the best way to reach me is Tamara Simon at Comcast.net. Okay. Email's the best way to reach me. Our office, the website's costpm.com. That's K like and kite, O, S for Sam, S for Sam, PM.com. And, of course, our office phone number, 206-729-3630. We're always available to help people with consultation, answer questions, move them in the right direction. We wish everyone continued success with their investment property. I think we're going to have Tamara on the show again. I think we got lots more to talk about. Thank you for joining us today, Tamara. And everyone, join us next week, every Tuesday at 3 o'clock for Open House with Team Reba. Thank you for listening to Open House with Team Reba. To contact us, visit Team Reba at re slash Max Metro East Side on Facebook or email info at teamreba.com. Join us again next Tuesday at 3 for more Open House with Team Reba here on Business Radio 1300 KKOL. Program sponsored by Team Reba of Remax Metro East Side and Eric Osnes of Home Street Bank Home Mortgage.